Act Five of The Old Bachelor by William Congreve. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Act Five, Scene One. Scene The Street. Belmore in fanatic habit, Setter, Hartwell, Lucy. Setter, well encountered. Joy of your return, sir. Have you made a good voyage, or have you brought your own lading back? No, I have brought nothing but ballast back. Made a delicious voyage, Setter, and might have rode at anchor in the port till this time, but the enemy surprised us. I would unrig. I attend you, sir. Ha! Is it not that Hartwell at Sylvia's door? Be gone quickly. I'll follow you. I would not be known. Pox take them. They stand just in my way. Scene two. Belmore, Hartwell, Lucy. I'm impatient till it be done. That may be, without troubling yourself to go again for your brother's chaplain. Don't you see that stocking form of godliness? Oh, I. He's a fanatic. An executioner qualified to do your business. He has been lawfully ordained. I'll pay him well, if you'll break the matter to him. I warrant you. Do you go and prepare your bride? Scene 3. Belmore, Lucy. Oof, sits the wind there? What a lucky rogue am I! Oh, what sport will be here if I can persuade this wench to secrecy! Sir! Reverend sir! Madam! Discovers himself. Now, goodness have mercy upon me! Mr. Belmower, is it you? Even I! What dost think? Think? that I should not believe my eyes, and that you are not what you seem to be. True, but to convince thee who I am, thou knowest my old token. Kisses her. Nay, Mr. Belmower. Oh, lard, I believe you are a parson in good earnest. You kiss so devoutly. Well, your business with me, Lucy? I had none, but through mistake. Which mistake you must go through with, Lucy? Come, I know the intrigue between Hartwell and your mistress, and you mistook me for tribulation spintext to marry him, huh? Are not matters in this posture? Confess. Come, I'll be faithful. I will, I faith. What? Defied in me, Lucy? Alas a day! You and Mr. Vainlove between you have ruined my poor mistress. You have made a gap in her reputation. And can you blame her if she make it up with a husband? Well, is it as I say? Well, it is then. But you'll be secret? Oh, secret, aye. And to be out of thy debt, I'll trust thee with another secret. Your mistress must not marry Hartwell, Lucy. How? Oh, Lord! Nay, don't be in passion, Lucy. I'll provide a fitter husband for her. Come, here's earnest of my good intentions for thee, too. 
let this mollify. Gives her money. Look you, Hartwell is my friend, and though he be blind, I must not see him fall into the snare and unwittingly marry a whore. Whore? I'd have you to know my mistress scorns. Nay, nay. Look you, Lucy, there are whores of as good quality. But to the purpose, if you will give me leave to acquaint you with it. Do you carry on the mistake of me? I'll marry him. Nay, don't pause. If you do, I'll spoil all. I have some private reasons for what I do, which I'll tell you within. In the meantime, I promise, and rely upon me, to help your mistress to a husband. Nay, and thee too, Lucy. Here's my hand, I will, with a fresh assurance. Gives her more money. Ah, uh, the devil is not so cunning. You know my easy nature. Well, for once I'll venture to serve you. But if you do deceive me, the curse of all kind, tender-hearted women light upon you. That's as much to say the pox take me. Well, lead on. Scene 4. Vainlove, Sharper, and Setter Just now, say you, gone in with Lucy? I saw him, sir, and stood at the corner where you found me, and overheard all they said. Mr. Belmore is to marry him. Ha <laughs> ha, it will be a pleasant cheat. I'll play Cartwell when I see him. Prithee, Frank, let's tease him. Make him fret till he foam at the mouth and disgorge his matrimonial oath with interest. Come thou'rt musty. Setter to Sharper. Sir, a word with you. Whispers him. Sharper swears she has forsworn the letter. I'm sure he tells me truth. But I'm not sure she told him truth. Yet she was unaffectedly concerned, he says, and often blushed with anger and surprise. And so I remember in the park. She had reason if I wrong her. I begin to doubt. Sayest thou so? This afternoon, sir. About an hour before my master received the letter. In my conscience, like enough. Ay, I know her, sir. At least I'm sure I can fish it out of her. She's the very sluice of her lady's secrets. Tis but setting her mill a-going, and I can drain her of em all. Here, Frank. Your bloodhound has made out the fault. This letter, that so sticks in thy maw, is counterfeit. Only a trick of Sylvia in revenge, contrived by Lucy. Ha! Huh. It has a colour. But how do you know it, Sirrah? I do suspect as much. Because why, sir, she was pumping me about how your worship's affairs stood towards Madame Araminta, as when you had seen her last, when you were to see her next, and where you were to be found at that time, and such like. And where did you tell her? In the piazza. There I received the letter. It must be so. And why did you not find me out to tell me this before, Sot? Sir... I was pimping for Mr. Belmore. You were well employed. I think there is no objection to the excuse. Pox of my saucy credulity. If I have lost her, I deserve it. But if confession and repentance be a force, I'll win her, or weary her into a forgiveness. Methinks I long to see Belmore come forth. Scene 5. Sharper, Belmore, Setter. 
talk of the devil see where he comes hugging himself in his prosperous mischief no real fanatic can look better pleased after a successful sermon of sedition sharper fortify thy spleen such a jest speak when thou art ready now were i ill-natured would i utterly disappoint thy mirth hear thee tell thy mighty jest with as much gravity as a bishop hears venereal causes in the spiritual court not so much as wrinkle my face with one smile but let thee look simply and laugh by thyself pshaw no i have better opinion of thy wit god i defy thee were it not loss of time you should make the experiment but honest setter here overheard you with lucy and has told me all nay then i thank thee for not putting me out of countenance but to tell you something you don't know i got an opportunity after i had married em of discovering the cheat to sylvia she took it at first as another woman would the like disappointment but my promise to make her amends quickly with another husband somewhat pacified her but how the devil do you think to acquit yourself of your promise will you marry her yourself i have no such intentions at present prithee wilt thou think a little for me i am sure the ingenious mr setter will assist oh lord sir i'll leave him with you and go shift my habit scene six sharper setter sir joseph and bluff <laughs> sure fortune has sent this fool hither on purpose setter stand close seem not to observe him and hark ye whispers fear him not I am prepared for him now, and he shall find he might have safe aroused a sleeping lion. Hush, hush, don't you see him? Show him to me. Where is he? Nay, don't speak so loud. I don't jest as I did a little while ago. Look yonder. Agad, if he should hear the lion roar, he'd cudgel him into an ass and his primitive brain. Don't you remember the story in Aesop's Fables, Bully? Agad, there are good morals to be picked out of Aesop's Fables. Let me tell you that, and Reynard the Fox, too. Damn your morals. Prithee, don't speak so loud. Damn your morals. I must revenge the affront done to my honour. I do, do, Captain, if you think it fitting. You may dispose of your own flesh as you think fitting, do you see? But, by the Lord Harry, I'll leave you stealing away upon his tiptoes prodigious what will you forsake your friend in extremity you can't in honour refuse to carry him a challenge almost whispering and treading softly after him prithee what do you see in my face that looks as if i could carry a challenge honour is your province captain take it all the world know me to be a knight and a man of worship i warrant you sir i'm instructed sharper aloud impossible araminta take a liking to a fool her head runs with nothing else nor she can talk of nothing else i know she commanded him all the while we were in the park but i thought it had been only to make vain love jealous how's this good bully hold your breath and let's hearken agad this must be high death it can't be an oath an idiot a whittle ay now it's out tis i my own individual person a wretch that has flown for shelter to the lowest shrub of mankind and seeks protection from a blasted coward that's you bully back bluff frowns upon sir joseph 
Sharpa to Setter. She has given Vainlove her promise to marry him before tomorrow morning, has she not? She has, sir, and I have it in charge to attend her all this evening in order to conduct her to the place appointed. Well, I'll go and inform your master, and do you press her to make all the haste imaginable. Scene 7. Setter, Sir Joseph, Bluff. Were I a rogue now, what a noble prize could I dispose of? A goodly pinnace, richly laden, and to launch forth under my auspicious convoy. Twelve thousand pounds and all a rigging, besides what lies concealed under ashes. Ah, all this committed to my care. Avaunt, temptation! Setter, show thyself a person of worth. Be true to thy trust, and be reputed honest. Reputed honest? Hmm, is that all? Ay, for to be honest is nothing. The reputation of it is all. Reputation. What have such poor rogues as I to do with reputation? Tis above us, and for men of quality they are above it, so that reputation is even as foolish a thing as honesty. And for my part, if I meet Sir Joseph with a purse of gold in his hand, I'll dispose of mine to the best advantage. <laughs> Here tis for you, if faith, Mr. Setter. Nay, I'll take you at your word. Chinking a purse. Sir Joseph and the captain too? Undone, undone. I'm undone, my master's undone, my lady's undone, and all the business is undone. No, no, never fear, man. The lady's business shall be done. What come, Mr. Setter? I have overheard all, and to speak is but loss of time, and if there be occasion, let these worthy gentlemen intercede for me. Gives him gold. Oh, Lord, sir, what do you mean? Corrupt my honesty? They have indeed very persuading faces, but... Tis too little. There's more, man. There. Take all, now. Well, Sir Joseph, you have such a winning way with you. And how, and how, good setter, did the little rogue look when she talked of Sir Joseph? Did not her eyes twinkle and her mouth water? Did not she pull up her little bubbies? And, agad, I'm so overjoyed, and stroke down her belly, and then step aside to tie her garter when she was thinking of her love? Hey, setter. Oh, yes, sir. How now, bully? What melancholy, because I'm in the lady's favour. No matter. I'll make your peace. I know they were a little smart upon you, but I warrant I'll bring you into the lady's good graces. Shah, I have petitions to show from other guest toys than she. Look here. These were sent me this morning. There, read. Shows letters. That, that's a scrawl of quality. Here, here's from a countess, too. Hum. No, hold. That's from a knight's wife. She sent it me by her husband. But here, both these are from persons of great quality. They are either from persons of great quality or no quality at all. Tis such a damned ugly hand. 
while Sir Joseph Reed's bluff whispers Setter. Captain, I would do anything to serve you, but this is so difficult. Not at all. Don't I know him? You'll remember the conditions. I'll give you it under my hand. In the meantime, here's Ernest. Gives him money. Come, knight. I'm capitulating with Mr. Setter for you. An honest setter, sirrah. I'll give thee anything but a night's lodging. Scene 8. Sharper tugging in Hartwell. Nay, prithee leave railing and come along with me. Maybe she mayn't be within. Tis but to yond corner house. Weather, weather, which corner house? Why there, the two white posts. And who would you visit there, say you? Ones. How my heart aches. Shaw, thou'rt so troublesome and inquisitive. My I tell you, tis a young creature that vain love debauched and has forsaken. Did you never hear Belmore chide him about Sylvia? Hartwell aside. Death and hell and marriage. My wife? Why, thou art as musty as a new married man that had found his wife knowing the first night. Hartwell aside. Hell and the devil! Does he know it? But hold, if he should not, I were a fool to discover it. I'll dissemble and try him. <laughs> Why, Tom, is that such an occasion of melancholy? Is it such an uncommon mischief? No, Faith, I believe not. Few women but have their year of probation before they are cloistered in the narrow joys of wedlock. But prithee, come along with me, or I'll go and have the lady to myself. Bye-bye, George. Going. Oh, torture! How he racks and tears me! Death! Shall I own my shame, or wittingly let him go and whore my life? No, that's insupportable. Oh, sharper! How now? Oh, I am married. Now hold, spleen. Married? Certainly. Irrecoverably married. Heaven forbid, man. How long? Oh, an age. An age. I have been married these two hours. My old bachelor married? That were a jest. <laughs> to death. Do ye mock me? Hark ye, if either you esteem my friendship, or your own safety, come not near that house, that corner house, that hot brothel. Ask no questions. Mad by this light, thus grief still treads upon the heels of pleasure, married in haste we may repent at leisure. Scene 9 Sharper setter. Some by experience find these words misplaced. At leisure married, they repent in haste. As I suppose my master Hartwell. Here again, my Mercury. Sublimate, if you please, sir. I think my achievements do deserve the epithet. Mercury was a pimp too. But though I blush to own it, 
at this time i must confess i am somewhat fallen from the dignity of my function and do condescend to be scandalously employed in the promotion of vulgar matrimony as how dear dexterous pimp why do be brief for i have weighty affairs depending our stratagem succeeded as you intended bluff turns errant traitor bribes me to make a private conveyance of the lady to him and puts a shame settlement upon sir joseph oh rogue well but i hope no no never fear me sir i privately informed the knight of the treachery who has agreed seemingly to be cheated that the captain may be so in reality where's the bride shifting clothes for the purpose of friend's house of mine his company come in if you'll walk this way sir i'll tell you scene ten belmore belinda araminta and vainlove vainlove to araminta oh twas frenzy all cannot you forgive it men in madness have a title to your pity which they forfeit when they are restored to their senses i am not presuming beyond a pardon you who could reproach me with one counterfeit how insolent would a real pardon make you but there's no need to forgive what is not worth my anger belinda to belmore on my conscience i could find in my heart to marry thee purely to be rid of thee at least thou art so troublesome a lover there's hopes thou'lt make a more than ordinary quiet husband say you so is that a maxim among ye yes you fluttering men of the mode have made marriage a mere french dish belmore aside i hope there's no french sauce <laughs> you are so curious in the preparation that is your courtship one would think you meant a noble entertainment but when we come to feed tis all froth and poor but in show nay often only remains which have been i know not how many times warmed for other company at last served up cold to the wife that were a miserable wretch indeed who could not afford one warm dish for the wife of his bosom but you timorous virgins form a dreadful chimera of a husband as of a creature contrary to that soft humble pliant easy thing a lover so guess at plagues and matrimony in opposition to the pleasures of courtship alas courtship to marriage is but as the music in the playhouse until the curtain's drawn but that once up then opens the scene of pleasure oh no rather courtship to marriage as a very witty prologue to a very dull play scene eleven to them sharper hist belmore if you'll bring the ladies, make haste to Sylvia's lodgings before Hartwell has fretted himself out of breath. Belmore, to Belinda. You have an opportunity now, madam, to revenge yourself upon Hartwell for affronting your squirrel. Oh, the filthy rude beast. Tis a lasting quarrel. I think he has never been at our house since. But give yourselves the trouble to walk to that corner house, and I'll tell you by the way what may divert and surprise you. Scene twelve. Scene 
Sylvia's Lodgings Hartwell and Boy Gone forth, say you, with her maid? There was a man, too, that fetched them out. Satter, I think they called him. So, that precious pimp, too. Damned, damned strumpet. Could she not contain herself on her wedding day? Not hold out till night? Oh, cursed state, how wide we err when apprehensive of the load of life. We hope to find that help which nature meant in womankind, to man that supplemental self-designed, but proves a burning caustic when applied. And Adam, sure, could with more ease abide the bone when broken than when made a bride. Scene 13. To them, Belmore, Belinda, Vainlove, Araminta. Now, George, what rhyming! I thought the chimes of verse were past when once the doleful marriage knell was rung. Shame and confusion! I am exposed! Vainlove and Araminta talk apart. Joy, joy, Mr. Bridegroom, I give you joy, sir. Tis not in thy nature to give me joy. A woman can as soon give immortality. <laughs> oh, gad, men grow such clowns when they are married. That they are fit for no company but their wives. Nor for them neither in a little time. I swear at month's end you shall hardly find a married man that will do a civil thing to his wife, or say a civil thing to anybody else. How he looks already! <laughs> <laughs> Death, have I made your laughing stock? For you, sir, I shall find a time. But take off your wasp there, or the clown may grow boisterous. I have a fly-flap. You have occasion for it. Your wife has been blown upon. Oh, that's home. Not fiends or furies could have added to my vexation. Or anything but another woman. You've racked my patience. Be gone, or by... Hold, hold. What the devil? Thou wilt not draw upon a woman. What's the matter? Bless me. What have you done to him? Only touched a gold beast until he winced. Belmore, give it over. You vex him too much. Tis all serious to him. Nay, I swear, I begin to pity him myself. Damn your pity. But let me be calm a little. How have I deserved this of you? Any of ye? Sir, have I impaired the honour of your house? Promised your sister marriage and hoard her? Wherein have I injured you? Did I bring a physician to your father when he lay expiring and endeavour to prolong his life, and you one and twenty? Madam, have I had an opportunity with you, and balked it? Did you ever offer me the favour that I refused it, or— Oh, foe! What does the filthy fellow mean? Lord, let me be gone. Hang me if I pity you. You are right enough served. This is a little scurrilous, though. Nay, it is a sore of your own scratching. Well, George? You are the principal cause of all my present ills. If Sylvia had not been your mistress, my wife might have been honest. 
and if Sylvia had not been your wife, my mistress might have been just. There, we are even. But have a good heart. I heard of your misfortune, and come to your relief. When execution's over, you offer a reprieve. What would you give? Oh, anything, everything. A leg or two, or an arm. Nay, I would be divorced from my virility to be divorced from my wife. Scene 14. To them, sharper. Faith, that's a sure way. But here's one can sell you freedom better cheap. Vain love, I have been a kind of godfather to you yonder. I've promised and vowed some things in your name which I think you are bound to perform. No signing to a blank, friend. No, I'll deal fairly with you. Tis a full and free discharge to Sir Joseph Whittle and Captain Bluff for all injuries whatsoever done unto you by them until the present date hereof. How say you? Agreed. Then let me beg these ladies to wear their masks a moment. Come in, gentlemen and ladies. What the devil's all this to me? Patience. Seen the last. To them, Sir Joseph, Bluff, Sylvia, Lucy, Setter. All injuries whatsoever, Mr. Sharper. Aye, aye, whatsoever. Captain, stick to that, whatsoever. Tis done. These gentlemen are witnesses to the general release. Aye, aye, to this instant moment. I have passed an act of oblivion. Tis very generous, sir, since I needs must my own. No, no, Captain, you need not own. <laughs> Tis I must own. That you are overreached, too. <laughs> only a little art military used, only undermined, or so as shall appear by my fair Araminta, my wife's permission. Oh, the devil cheated at last. Lucy unmasks. Only a little art military trick, Captain. Only countermind or so. Mr. Vainlove, I suppose you know whom I have got now, but all's forgiven. I know whom you have not got. Pray, ladies, convince him. Araminta and Belinda unmask. Ah, oh, Lord, my heart aches. Ah, set a, a rogue of all sides. Sir Joseph, you had better have pre-engaged this gentleman's pardon, for though vain love be so generous to forgive the loss of his mistress, I know not how Hartwell may take the loss of his wife. Sylvia unmasks. My wife? By this light is she, the very cockatrice. Oh, sharper! Let me embrace thee. But art thou sure she is really married to him? Really and lawfully married. I am witness. Belmore will unriddle you. Hartwell goes to Belmore. Pray, madam, who are you? For I find you and I are like to be better acquainted. The worst of me is that I am your wife. Come, Sir Joseph, your fortune is not so bad as you fear. A fine lady, and a lady of very good quality. Thanks to my knighthood, she's a lady. That deserves a fool with a better title. Pray use her as my relation, or you shall hear on't. What, are you a woman of quality too, spouse? And my relation. Pray let her be respected accordingly. Well, honest Lucy, fare thee well. I think you and I have been playfellows on and off any time this seven year. Hold your prating. 
I'm thinking what vocation I shall follow while my spouse is planting laurels in the wars. No more wars, spouse, no more wars. While I plant laurels for my head abroad, I may find the branches sprout at home. Belmore, I approve thy mirth and thank thee. And I cannot in gratitude, for I see which way thou art going, see thee fall into the same snare out of which thou hast delivered me. I thank thee, George, for thy good intention. But there is a fatality in marriage, for I find I'm resolute. Then good counsel will be thrown away upon you. For my part, I have once escaped, and when I wed again, may she be ugly as an old bard. Ill-natured as an old maid. Wanton as a young widow. And jealous as a barren wife. Agreed. Well, midst of these dreadful denunciations, and notwithstanding the warning and example before me, I commit myself to lasting durance. Prisoner, make much of your fetters. Giving her hand. Frank, will you keep us in countenance? May I presume to hope so great a blessing? We had better take the advantage of a little of our friend's experience first. Belmore, aside. Oh, my conscience, she dares not consent, for fear he should recant. Well, we should have your company to church in the morning. Maybe it may get you an appetite to see us fall to before you. Setter, did not you tell me? They're at the door. I'll call em in. A dance. Now set we forward on a journey for life. Come, take your fellow travellers. Old George, I'm sorry to see thee still plod on alone. With gaudy plumes and jingling bells made proud, the youthful beast sets forth and neighs aloud. A morning sun his tinseled harness gilds, and the first stage a downhill greensward yields. But oh, what rugged ways attend the noon of life! Our sun declines, and with what anxious strife, what pain we tug that galling load, a wife. All courses the first heat with vigor run, but tis with whip and spur the race is won. Exeunt Omnes End of Act 5 Epilogue, spoken by Mrs. Barry As a rash girl, who will all hazards run, and be enjoyed, though sure to be undone, soon as her curiosity is over, would give the world she could her toy recover, so fares it with our poet, and I am sent to tell you he already does repent. <laughs> would you were all as forward to keep Lent? now the deed's done the giddy thing has leisure to think of the sting that's in the tale of pleasure methinks i hear him in consideration what will the world say where's my reputation now that's at stake <laughs> no fool tis out of fashion 
if loss of that should follow want of wit how many undone men were in the pit why that's some comfort to an author's fears if he's an ass he will be tried by his peers but hold i am exceeding my commission my business here was humbly to petition but we're so used to rail on these occasions i could not help one trial of your patience for this our way you know for fear of the worst to be beforehand still and cry fool first how say you sparks how do you stand affected i swear young bays within is so dejected twould grieve your hearts to see him shall i call him but then you cruel critics would so maul him yet maybe you'll encourage a beginner but how just as the devil does a sinner women and wits are used even much at one you gain your end and damn em when you've done end of the old bachelor by william congreve